Good morning and welcome again. We're glad to see each and every person here today. Good to see a good number of visitors with us. As always, we invite you to come back and be with us. We've got a lot of our own members away, and the summer's drawing to a close. I think school starts back in the next few days, and so it won't be long. Hopefully and prayerfully, everybody will be back, and we will be back to normal. But we appreciate so much your presence today. We're very grateful for the opportunity to be together, to worship God today, and to encourage one another. We're going to be looking at the passage that was read a moment ago, Matthew chapter 16, in verses 13 through 19, as we talk about the promise to build the church. I want to just very quickly say that the lesson that I had planned to preach tonight, I'm going to bump up to next week and continue our study of the church because I was thinking about this lesson. And so tonight what I'd like to do is to talk about how we can identify the church of the New Testament. Are there some earmarks, identifying marks that will help us to see the church revealed in Scripture? And so tonight I would invite you to come back and be with us as we discuss that topic. In Matthew chapter 16, we have Jesus asking a very profound question. The question centered on what people had to say about his identity. Jesus was, as you well know, a great, great teacher. He had the ability to ask questions, to make people think, and such is the case here. I want us to think for a moment or two about how he used this question to promise people of all ages to make a promise about the church and the establishment of the church. We're going to be looking at that in just a moment or two in our study today. And I want to begin our lesson this morning by simply saying the world in which we live is filled with many, many churches. There are literally hundreds of thousands of churches. Jesus promised to build the church. And so it's incumbent on us to read, to study the Scriptures, to analyze the church that was promised centuries ago, and to ask the question, are we members of the church that we read about in the Bible. It's in light of that that I want us to begin by, first of all, noting the interrogation by Jesus. First, there is an interrogation, and then secondly, there is a revelation. Let's begin by, first of all, talking about the interrogation by Jesus. And Jesus asked, as I mentioned a moment ago, a very powerful question. He came into the coast, into the region of Caesarea Philippi. And here he asked his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? First, let's just think for a moment or two about the word on the street, as we say. And really what Jesus is asking is, what's the word on the street? What are people saying about my identity? Now, 
The response given is an interesting one. They said, some say you're John the Baptist, and John the Baptist, the forerunner to Christ, well known to the people, his intent, point people in the direction of Christ. As a matter of fact, John the Baptist said, speaking of Christ, he must increase, but I must decrease. And then they said, some say you're Elijah. And no doubt, Jesus demonstrated the spirit and the power of Elijah, that great prophet of God in the long ago. Uncompromising, a man of conviction. And then they would say, well, some say you're Jeremiah. Jeremiah, of course, identified as the weeping prophet. And Jeremiah was well known to the people of that day. He had pled with the people of his era to come back to God. They were about to go into Babylonian captivity. And then they said, well, the word on the street is, you're just one of the prophets. And There were many prophets of God in the long ago. A lot of folks in the world, if you were to ask them, what about Jesus? What would they say? Some, like the people of Jesus' this day, might simply identify him as nothing more than a carpenter, according to Mark 6, verse 3, the son of Mary. Some would say, well, you know what, he was just a great teacher. Others would say he was interested in the social plight of people. Some might say he was a man of compassion. So the word on the street. But then if you would, note the word of a saint. Jesus then asked this question. Look at verse 15. But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, that is the anointed one, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now think about this for a minute. First, Jesus wanted to know, what's the word on the street? What are people saying about me, about my identity? But then, in a very personal, poignant way, he asked the question, but who do you say that I am? You and I need to understand that at some point in time, all of us have to come to a decision, a personal decision, about the identity of Christ. Who is he to you? Was he just one of the great prophets of God? Was he John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah? What do you think? Was he just some great teacher, a revolutionist, a man of compassion, a great preacher, a great teacher? Who was he? But then note, if you would, the word of the Savior. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Was it possible for the people of that day to come to a correct understanding of the identity of Jesus? Simon Peter got it right. Now, I would freely grant that there were many occasions that Peter would say things before he thought about what he was saying. 
in this, in this situation, in this context, he got it right. He identified Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of the living God. How was it possible for the people of that day to correctly identify Jesus as the Son of God? First, I think about His message. The message of Jesus was incomparable. John said in John chapter 7, verse 46, that it was said of Jesus, no man ever spoke like this man. Do you remember what Peter said in John chapter 6 when many of the disciples were leaving the Lord, walking away in droves? And Jesus asked them, will you also go away? And Peter spoke up and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. You see, there was something about his message. And by the way, Jesus identified himself as the Son of God. Jesus would identify himself to the woman of Samaria as the Messiah, to the blind man in John chapter 9 as the Son of God. He would speak of himself as the I am, that is, that eternal, self-existent one in John 8. He spoke of himself as the light of the world, the bread of life, the good shepherd. Jesus was and is the Son of God. That was his message to the human family. But then there was another way that people could have discerned his identity. And that had to do with the great miracles that Jesus performed. In John chapter 5, verse 36, Jesus said, The works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Now you can read the book of John. There are seven recorded signs or miracles of Jesus recorded by the Apostle John. The signs, the miracles that Jesus performed authenticated his claims of deity. You see, the Hebrew writer says that God bore witness to Jesus by signs and wonders and various miracles. So Jesus Christ, all the miracles that he performed during his ministry lended credibility to his claims that he was the Son of God. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study. First, we think about this interrogation by Jesus. But then there is a revelation by Jesus. I want you to listen to him in verse 18. First, as we think about verse 18... We have him speaking of the advent of the church. And I also say unto you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. First Jesus identifies the person who would build the church. Well, 
Who would build the church? Jesus identifies himself, doesn't he? Listen again to what he said. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build, note that, I will build my church. When we talk about the church of the New Testament, the church of the New Covenant, the church of the Bible, we're talking about an institution that was founded by only one person, that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is the one who built the church. He promised to build the church. The Bible tells us that He is the founder of the church. Furthermore, He is the foundation of the church. And the psalmist said back in Psalm 127.1, Except the Lord build the house, those who labor, labor in vain. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, Paul said, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So Jesus is both the founder and the foundation. He is the chief cornerstone, as Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2. Now here's what you need to understand. When Jesus promised to build the church, He said that the church would be singular in nature. Listen again to what He says. I will build my church, not churches, plural, but He said, I will build my church. When we read the New Testament, we read of only one church. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, verse 4, There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called, and one hope of your calling. Now somebody might ask the question, well, what is the body? The Bible says in Ephesians 1, He put all things in subjection under His feet, made Him to be head over all things to the church, listen to Him, which is His body. The Lord Jesus Christ built, established, founded one church, one body. That's important. You see, Jesus said, I will build my church, singular and possessive in nature. So we talk about the person who would build the church. Now secondly, the promise to build the church. Listen again to what he says, verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. There is a play on words in this text. Jesus said, you are Peter, and the word Peter means stone, a pebble. He said, you are Peter, and that's masculine, by the way, and on this rock, that's feminine, the word rock here means a ledge, a slab. He said, on this rock I will build my church. Jesus would build the church on the statement made by Peter back in verse 16. That is, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. On that basis, the church would be built. It wasn't built on Peter. Jesus built the church. He's the founder and He's the foundation. He is, as I said a moment ago, the chief cornerstone. So Jesus is the builder of the church. He built it and He bought it. 
How much did Jesus give for the church to exist today? Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Paul said, Take heed to yourselves, to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to feed the church of God, listen to him, which he purchased with his own blood. The church is the blood-bought body of Jesus Christ. So he built it and he bought it, didn't he? Well, how much, how much did Jesus pay for the church? Well, he paid for it with his blood. In Ephesians 5.25, Paul said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Jesus sacrificially bled and died for the establishment of the church that we read about in the New Testament. He paid the price for it. So he built it, he bought it, and here's something that's very, very important. It belongs to him. The church doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to any individual. The church is the blood-bought body of Jesus Christ. Now, if the church belongs to Jesus, and it, and it does, that means it has the right to be regulated by Him, doesn't it? I don't have the right to tamper with the church. Why? Because it's not my church. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, somebody asked the question, how then do I know how to operate within the church? Well, that's easy. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Paul said, But if I tarry long that you may know how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. In other words, Jesus Christ has given us His Word. On the basis of His Word, we understand how the church operates, don't we? We understand its establishment. We understand its structural nature. The universal church, the local church, the government of the church. Jesus is the head of the church universally. Locally, you have elders or bishops and pastors overseeing a local congregation. You have men that function as deacons. They have special works that they are to be engaged in. The church is composed of members, that is, brethren, Colossians chapter 1, verse 2. The church has evangelists. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. So the Lord Jesus Christ, He built a church, He bought the church, and it belongs to Him. You see, the church is the ecclesia, the community of the saved. It is the called out ones. Now I said a moment ago, the church belongs to Jesus. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, would you have of God? He said, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. Every member of the body of Christ belongs to whom? Belongs to the Lord. We are, as Peter said, an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, whom he has called forth out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we belong to the body of Christ. So we talk about the advent of the church. But secondly, the admission into the church. How do we become a member of the church that we read about in Scripture? Let me just begin by asking this question. Who can be saved? 
There are a lot of folks in the world today that feel as if they are beyond the scope of redemption. Do you remember the jailer in Philippians chapter, or rather in Acts chapter 16, when he asked the question, what must I do to be saved? On Pentecost Day, those people who were assembled in the city of Jerusalem, they asked the question, men and brethren, what shall we do? Who can be saved? The Bible tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The word men there denotes both male and female. And what God is saying is He wants all people to be saved. Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We sing the song, The Gospel is for all. The Gospel is for all. Jesus would say in giving the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And he said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So who can be saved? Anybody. Anybody who is willing to respond to the gospel invitation. But now there's a second question we need to ask. When can a person be saved? Now I want you to look at verse 19, if you would. In verse 19... Peter said, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus here speaking to Peter and the apostles. He's talking about giving them the keys to the kingdom. Now what is the kingdom? The kingdom and the church are one and the same. One and the same used interchangeably in verses 18 and 19. And what Jesus is saying is, Peter, I'm going to give you the keys that will unlock the doors to the kingdom, the church of Christ. When did Peter open the doors to the church? When did the apostles preach the gospel and the doors to the church open? Pentecost Day, Acts chapter 2. Now I want you to listen. When is a person saved? On Pentecost Day, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. On Pentecost Day, what did Peter say they needed to do? Did they believe in Jesus? Yes, they did. They knew who Jesus was. As a matter of fact, they had crucified and slain the Son of God. So they knew exactly who Jesus was. And so beginning at that point, on the basis of their belief, Peter said you need to repent. That is, you need to change your life. You need to make a turn. And you need to be baptized into Christ so that your sins can be washed away, so that you can enjoy the remittance of your sins. In Acts 22, verse 16, Paul said he was instructed by Ananias to arise and be baptized to wash away his sins. When a person is baptized into Christ, having believed that Jesus is the Son of God, repented of sin, confessed His name, 
and been baptized into Christ, it is at that point in time a person is saved. Let me illustrate it like this. Sometimes people have the idea that baptism is more important than the other steps of salvation. Not true. Each and every step equally important. When I was in school years ago, we had lockers and on every locker was a combination lock. In order to open that lock, I had to follow the sequence of numbers that were given in order for that lock to unopen. So if, it, if the sequence was one right, two left, one or three right, if I followed that sequence, what happened? The lock opened. If I left a numeral out, what would happen? It wouldn't open. Well, unless we follow the sequence, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of our sins, confess His name, and then are immersed in water, we can't contact the blood of Christ, can we? Do you remember the Bible says that with many other words did Peter testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked or perverse generation. Verse 41 says that some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel on Pentecost Day. Verse 47 says the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So, when is a person saved? When they obey the gospel? Where is the place where people are saved? Well, number one, you can't be saved outside of Jesus Christ, can you? In order for people to be saved, they have to be in Christ. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, salvation is where? It's in Christ Jesus. Most people in the religious world would agree salvation is in Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 14, 6. Luke said, Neither is there salvation in any other. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So we have to be in Christ to be saved. Here's the question. How then do we get into Christ to be saved? Well, we get into Christ by being baptized into Him, don't we? Do you remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 3? Know ye not that all we who were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death? Why do I need to be baptized into the death of Jesus? Because that's where His blood was shed. John 19, 34 and 35. You see, what saves us is the blood of Christ. The only way to appropriate that blood is to be baptized into Christ. So salvation, number one, is in Christ. Salvation number two is in the church of Christ. What do I mean when I say the church of Christ? I mean the church that belongs to Christ. It's His church. It's not my church. What did Jesus say? I will build my church. The church belongs to the Son of God, doesn't it? It wears His name. It honors His doctrine. So when I'm baptized into Christ, I'm baptized into Him thereby enjoying the benefits of His blood. But I'm also baptized into His body. Now somebody might ask the question, how do you know that? How do you know that when you're baptized into Christ, you become a part of the body of Christ? Well, listen to what Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. By one Spirit were you all baptized into one body. When I'm baptized into Christ... 
I am baptized into the body of Christ. Well, somebody asked the question, what's the body of Christ? He's the head of the body, which is the church. Now, why do you have to be a member of the church to go to heaven? Do you remember what Paul said in Ephesians 5, 23? He is the Savior of the body. What's the body? The body is the church, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. So can I be saved outside of Christ? No. Why? Because salvation is in Christ, 2 Timothy 2, 10. Can I be saved outside the church of Christ? That ought to be obvious. The Bible says He is the Savior of the body. What's the body? He's the head of the body of the church. That's what the Bible teaches. On Pentecost Day, here's what Peter did and the other apostles. They used those keys to open the doors to the kingdom of God, the church of Christ. And every single person that obeys the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes a part of that divine body. Why do I want to be a member of the church that I read about in the Bible? Because the Bible tells me that only those in the church, the body of Christ, have any hope of salvation. I want you to read with me very quickly Ephesians chapter 5 because I want, you to, I want you to read it in black and white for yourself. Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to what Paul said, verse 23. I want you to leave here knowing that only those in the church are the saved. Ephesians 5, 23. For the husband is the head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church. And He is the Savior of the body. That means if I'm not in the body, I'm not among the saved. If I'm not in the body, I'm not among the redeemed. If I'm not in the body, I'm not among the reconciled. If I'm not in the body, I'm not among the cleansed. In short, I'm lost. And I need to be in Christ. So I ask you today, have you been baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. If you haven't, you're without hope and without God in this world. You don't have a prayer. The beauty is you can respond to the gospel invitation just like they did on Pentecost Day, just like multitudes of people have done down through the years. And you can be a Christian, nothing more, nothing less. You can be a member of the church that you read about in the Bible. If you're here today and you haven't obeyed the gospel, I want to encourage you to do that. If you're here today and you're not a member, or rather you're not faithful to the body of Christ, I want to encourage you to come home. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Won't you come as we stand and sing?